Welcome back to the ARM New Reality series. And we've got an exciting episode lined up today with some great guests and stories of really inspiring innovation. We're going to be exploring what we call layers of reality, looking at how virtual reality and augmented reality are making a real difference to real companies in the real world. Joining me today are two guests. Pablo Frail is the Director of Ecosystem Partnerships for the client line of business in ARM. In his role, he collaborates day-to-day -day with mobile industry partners and developers to create software and tools which enable the best possible experiences in mobile, AR, and VR devices. Also with me is Adam Chernick, who leads research and development for AR and VR at Shop Architects in New York. Adam's company was recently featured in a New York Times story about innovation in construction and architecture, and he's here to provide the thousand-foot view of all things AR, VR, and how these and other innovative technologies can be combined to deliver something that drives tremendous innovation in architecture, engineering, and construction. I'll turn to you first, Adam, to give us your perspective on our theme today. Perhaps you could start by just giving us that high-level perspective on how you see AR and VR in architecture, engineering, and construction. You know, architecture, engineering, construction, all referred to as AEC, um, uses virtual and augmented reality in uh, many different ways. Um, we are using it for design review tools. We are building custom applications for construction sites. Um, really, we're doing R&D to be able to find new ways that this technology can bring value to AEC generally. And we're doing that in a, a whole bunch of different ways. That's fantastic. And, and um, I'll turn to you, Pablo, to, to kind of give us your thoughts on um, how you see um, enterprise uh, starting to use AR and VR. And then maybe we can dive into um, uh, the architecture, engineering, and construction in a bit more detail. Sure. So, um, I mean, we, we've been tracking AR and VR for a, for a long time at ARM. Uh, as you know, the, the background of ARM where we've really been successful is on the, on the mobile space. We see uh, augmented reality in virtual reality as the next evolution in, in terms of platform. So whenever mobile has been successful, we anticipate uh, augmented reality will be will be same. Um, we will have the same level of success. And I think what we're trying to understand is is where in the industrial space and the and the enterprise space uh, these applications are, are really coming to fruition. And then from there, where it goes into consumer space as well, where where things really scale up to to the kind of volumes we we in ARM like to see. So, Adam, as we kind of look at how AR and VR starts to apply to the real world, I know you've got an amazing example um, and that it was recently written up in the New York Times. And maybe you could talk a little bit about that um, and how you're able to make a difference, uh, particularly um, in the architectural world. Yeah, thanks. A absolutely. Um, the project that was highlighted in the New York Times is our 90 call tower in downtown Brooklyn. It's set to become the tallest tower uh, in Brooklyn. Um, and we are leveraging AR and VR in a few different ways uh, on that project, one of which we're uh, building an application, an augmented reality application in which we are taking the building and dropping it on site in one-to-one -one scale so that the user off of the site, you know, adjacent to the site is able to see the building in its complete form 
within the context of the city and then walk around it, right? So before a building gets built now, we can put that building in place and, and, and now walk around that building within its context. That's one. And then the second that um, was highlighted in that article was um, an on-site quality assurance, quality control tool that we've been building that leverages augmented reality as a new query system for uh, obtaining information on a construction site. So um, currently construction processes uh, are, you know, typically very slow, uh, and, and there are some inefficiencies in there that we think uh, we can um, decrease the inefficiencies, get people the necessary information that they need quickly uh, in, in new ways that leverage these tools. Yeah, and I think use cases like yours also highlight some of the the, the technological challenges that uh, Pablo, I know that you and the rest of the team at Arm are tackling, and I know you have this this approach, this total compute approach, uh, to tackling that. Yeah, sure. Um, in reality, what we are trying to do with total compute is address the needs not just of our immediate customers who are, you know, the, the silicon manufacturers or the, you know, the microprocessor manufacturers, but also the needs of the people at the stack. So uh, operating system vendors or platform vendors or uh, application developers, game engines like, like Unity and so on. Uh, what we're trying to do is build a platform uh, or a solution that addresses um, those needs in, in three particular pillars. One of them is performance. So make sure that these new the compute solutions we're building um, provide the right level of performance uh, on the on the use cases or the applications that people care about. So we 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 target our designs to things like in this case uh, augmented reality. So if augmented reality is the application, how is compute used in those in those applications? What kind of vision? What kind of graphics? What kind of machine learning are you going to be doing in uh, in in this type of uh, in this type of environment? The, the second. Um, side of the of the of total compute is security how can we build a platform that addresses security concerns from the from the hardware design app um, and, and not as an afterthought and we, we believe this is a, a huge problem today uh, in compute environments and it's going to become even more important in the future so this is one of our sort of top uh, guiding principles, if you want. Uh, the, the third principle uh, is is quite relevant here: is is developer environments. How how do we not just provide the compute capabilities, but also the tools, the resources, the 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 you know the education, and the and the software that allows those developers to extract the 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 maximum performance at the right level of battery usage and and so how, how do we allow developers to to understand what's going on when they build an app and when they deploy that that app into into a consumer device i'm wondering adam as you look at how you work with customers um, and they'll say to you well what kind of device should we be using how do you go about assessing all of those things based on the changing nature of the technology and also uh, the customer's needs? We spend a whole lot of time thinking about that. Um, right now, most of our applications are being developed for mobile. And that is specifically, uh, you know, that, that gives us a whole bunch of Uh, different opportunities, right? It lends itself well to being able to um, be transported. It's highly distributable. Um, 
it, now there's, you know, great performance benefits on these mobile devices, especially these newer ones. Um, it, it gives us a lot of opportunities. We are, you know, waiting for when these head mounted displays can continue to get better and better, both from, you know, the performance standpoint, but also, you know, uh, from the field of view standpoint, if we're, you know, talking about specific headsets, um, anyway, we're mobile, mobile is where we're developing first. We see huge impact. We see, uh, a large number of people are able to gain valuable experiences from, uh, from a, a mobile first approach. Um, so, you know, speaking back to, to Pablo and, and performance, performance is everything for us, right? It's incredibly necessary um, to have a, a high frame rate, uh, have a clean user experience. That's everything. I mean, especially when we're pulling in these massive uh, building models into these mobile applications, we're having to optimize, you know, a large chunk of our time goes to optimizing these models and making sure that they will perform on these devices because we're really maxing these devices out. We're the, the amount of data and the amount of, uh, information that these models hold is not getting smaller year to year. We're trying to pack more data and, and more complexity into these models. Um, so that our end product of a building uh, is more is successful, um, and so yeah, having these devices able to to process these massive models is key. Uh, performance is absolutely key. Understanding you know that use case, how how you're trying to build those models, how you're trying to deploy them. This is the sort of thing that we need to have that that relationship with with developers and uh, and platform vendors because that gives us the the understanding to build better products. But at the same time. We want to provide you with the tools so that you understand, you know, mobile devices are incredibly complicated machines and, and you can't just assume that the CPU or the GPU or, or some, some other area of the device is, is a bottleneck. Um, we want to build the tools that give you that visibility and that so that you can understand, oh, I've got this huge, you know, 3D model or is this particular texture that's causing me problems or this this or that there are so many different variables that without the right tools the right developer environments is very very difficult to get it right you're almost like flying blind so that's why that's where we're spending a lot of our energy uh, in in recent in recent months and that's where we think those these new uh, these new devices coming up um, you know in a few years time those those new AR or VR headsets with even more um, sensors more processing capabilities, more constraints from, from a compute perspective, it's going to be even more important to understand how your application is being run and, and, and what can you do about it. Right. And, and I would imagine, Adam, that um, there's also some overlap right now between the, the traditional kind of uh, CAD CAM development and, and uh, you know, if you like, a desktop rendering uh, of buildings and the, the creation of those kinds of models that you would need to leverage um, in your development uh, and uh, mobile XR. And I wonder if you, you can maybe talk a bit about that movement from uh, from desktop to, to mobile XR and the, the, the kind of change in paradigm for um, architects and the construction community. Yeah, absolutely. Um... It is slow. <laughs> um, so we are, there are many re really incredible tools being developed right now, one of which is built by Unity. It's called Unity Reflect. And um, what, what that's really important 
it addresses a problem that has been difficult for us for a long time, which is getting these massively complex, um, non-optimized models into a real-time ready asset. Um, and so addressing this problem of bringing all this data-rich CAD into these game engines is one that Unity Reflect addresses. Uh, it brings in our data and our uh, geometry in a nice, native, easy, easily to consume way um, that we can build on top of. And, and, and that's a really good start um, in order to you know, bridge that gap for us. It, it definitely is decreasing these pain points. So Adam, that's a, a good point. Um, I, I'm wondering if you could tell me a bit about why you chose uh, Unity uh, for your development uh, in meeting what is a considerably high bar for what you're trying to achieve. You know, Unity has been an incredible tool for us. I started developing uh, initially with Unity when I way back when when I started, um, and that was just based off of the community, really. Um, you know, doing my research and trying to figure out uh, new ways of just using augmented reality for the first time, building an augmented reality for the first time. There are just so many guides and tutorials and people willing to help you online. It's, you know, an incredibly refreshing uh, development experience. Um, and so that's kind of how I got kicked off. But then I realized that that community is, you know, even more powerful than I thought. Um, the, the tools and, and software development kits that are being built for Unity um, are, you know, really easy to integrate and uh, it, it really makes our development cycle easier and it's just fun to use. Unity also seems a really fun example of technology that may have been developed for one thing or people started using it for one thing, i.e. game development, uh, and ends up being good at a number of other things uh, like what you're doing. Yeah, I feel lucky that uh, architecture is inherently uh, spatial. And that is what Unity and these 3D environment, uh, you know, these, these these game engines are very good at is creating these spatial experiences. So it it, it works out nicely for AEC uh, as a, as a strong tool. Um, but yeah, you know, Unity was initially developed to build video games, and it does that very well. But now people are realizing that it can be used for much much more. Um, you know, these game engines can be used to build all sorts of creative tools and not just build some interactive tool to, you know, turn on and off the colors or, or the materials of a building. That's, you know, that's really powerful to be able to see design options, but we're excited about going further with it and connecting it with other APIs and seeing what different construction management uh, software we can connect into so that we can actually connect dots that have never been connected and, 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 you know, raise efficiency in our architecture firm. We're trying to turn a thousand clicks into one click. That's kind of the name of the game. Uh, and I'm wondering, Adam, given all of those changes, um, how does that inform your own development roadmap? I, I would imagine that, you know, part of it, of course, is what your customers are asking for and, and what their business needs are. Um, but there's got to be another part where you want to be able to jump on uh, the latest capabilities as they become available. So, so how do you balance that? Yeah, that's a great question that I wanted to touch on is, you know, I'm going to be the first to say that, you know, 
we love to stand on the shoulders of giants. Um, we, you know, and, and tools like Unity uh, really allow us to do that easily. Um, when somebody comes up with, you know, as Pablo was saying, somebody comes up with a new software development kit that meshes the entire world so that we have an understanding of what is a table and what is a couch, a sofa, and what is a, you know, a, a, an HVAC unit in the ceiling. Um, we can take that SDK, integrate it into our application and develop it into our app relatively seamlessly because of this ecosystem that they've built. Um, so, I'll, you know, I'll be the, uh, the, the first to say that it really just all of this technology allows us to stand on the shoulders of giants, which is really exciting. Yeah. And um, Pablo, I'll throw it back to you in terms of how you see the developers that you work with um, approaching the whole um, development roadmap question uh, about wh where they make their bets uh, based on the speed of change. Um, yeah. I mean, the developers have one um, fundamental defining trait, which is adaptability. Developers learn to use the tools they have at hand. Um, very, very often, if those tools don't exist, they will create them themselves. But the technology available um, allows them to very quickly interpret that they, they are very quick to interpret that technology into something that they can create a new experience with. So, um, so I think one of the one of the interesting sort of challenges for for a company like Arm is trying to imagine the world five years from now. We we have very very long development cycles, so we have to imagine the world five ten years from now um, from a you know bits and bytes and and electronic gates point of view but at the same time we have to imagine it from a developer and from a use case point of view how how will people use this new piece of uh, hardware we are designing and that is a, that's a real fascinating challenge it used to be less of a problem you know 20 years ago because applications and devices were very predictable very linear and the complexity of new technology is just exploding with the number of, as I say, the number of sensors, the number of you know, the connectivities, the number of standards, the way devices interact with one another. So having uh, a clear vision is really important. Um, and that vision comes from understanding um, the understanding developers today, understanding their trajectory in the past, and also imagining um, what sort of problems are not being solved today, even if we don't understand how we, we don't know how we, those problems are going to be solved. But just to give an example, we know that um, security is a problem or is going to be a problem uh, moving forward. We may not have the right answer for security challenges five, 10 years from now, but we know that security has to be one of our guiding principles for designing new technology. So that's how we, we approach it. And, and it sounds like what I'm hearing from both of you is that the, these technologies have the power to really surprise you in terms of what uses um, people and enterprises make of them. So I'm going to ask each of you, um, what's the most surprising application or use case you've seen for um, AR and VR technologies, um, say, over the last five years? And maybe I can start with you, Adam, and then we'll uh, throw it to Pablo. Yeah. Oh, man. I, I definitely have one that comes to mind, and it is a medical use case. Um, it, it, I'll try to, you know, give the elevator pitch on what I've seen. 
there is this application that was built that's a virtual reality application for children when children have to go get a shot in the doctor's office. Um, you know, children are deathly afraid of of needles and they hate it. It's a terrible experience for them every time. And so they built this virtual reality experience where it's this a narrative story where there's this hero and you're helping this hero, you know, combat this uh, evil, whatever. And, uh, and to do that, you have to, um, you have to gain your superpowers and to gain your superpowers, you have to, there's this warm rock that magic rock that, uh, the, the in virtual reality in this experience, the, um, protagonist goes and touches the, the, um, child's arm to give him the superpowers. And at that exact same time with this warm rock, they give the child the shot and, and the child, you know, feels the warmth and is immersed in this experience. Um, and then, uh, and then they take off the goggles and they've had their shot and, and they aren't crying. They just had a fun experience. And that's an incredibly powerful thing. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, that's not a use case I would have ever thought of. How about you, Pablo? Yeah, I was uh, worried that Alan would steal mine because uh, <laughs> the, the one I saw is also medical, perhaps less um, in inspirational, but incredibly compelling um, when I saw it. It's a, it's a medical VR startup that provides training for um, for surgeons. And what they do is reproduce some of the internal cavities in the body. And uh, the VR camera becomes your, um, or the VR headset becomes your, your camera, your, you know, inside camera. And, and you are allowed to use certain medical equipment to perform uh, surgery inside, um, inside the body. The, the, first of all, obviously it's, it's a lot, cheaper and easier and less painful than, than experimenting with the real uh, person. Second, the amount of detail, the quality of the of the simulation they 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 provided it was in in SIGGRAPH last year I, I believe it was just astonishing and uh, and I absolutely loved it. Um, very gruesome when things go wrong. Very well done in terms of uh, you know, all the blood and fluids going all over the place. But it was just uh, fantastic. <laughs> Uh, and I, I guess I could contribute one as well. So um, I was at a, a trade show um, in the VR AR sector over the last couple of years. Um, and there's a company that was producing uh, backpacks for school kids. Um, and the backpacks actually had um, a code woven into them, uh, kind of like a QR code, except it was uh, proprietary. Um, and they had a bit of software where if you had your phone, you could aim it at the backpack and it would you know, provide information that the the kid wanted to share uh, about themselves. So their their use case was, well, you're a new kid in a school, you're too shy to go talk to people, but you can, you know, post this information that's that's tied to the the recognition uh, in the app. Um, so I, I, you know, I don't think it did particularly well, but it was a cool idea and something I would never have thought of as, as a use for um, kind of recognition and, and uh, AR. Yeah, so um, I, I, um, I think we're getting uh, close to the, the top of the hour here. So um, I would ask you for um, any, uh, any thoughts you have um, on the, the, um, the broader topic um, for uh, layers of reality. So um, in terms of what you've learned from uh, your work with customers, uh, Adam, um, how are you seeing their 
evolution in terms of how they look at reality and, and what's possible um, with the kinds of solutions that, that your company and others are coming up with? Yeah, we're seeing a lot of excitement and engagement from clients on uh, on the tools that we're building. It's um, incredibly validating and we're very excited about it. Um, you know, giving a client, a developer client, the ability to see their building in place in one-to-one scale and then walk around that building is an incredibly compelling thing it helps you know rather than a two-dimensional image of seeing what it looks like in context you know we, we have an incredible visualization team at shop uh, who the imagery that they create blows my mind um which is one thing and incredibly useful but then as as you know an, another next level being able to actually immerse and and walk around this building is is really powerful uh, and, and Pablo, any uh, any final thoughts from you in terms of uh, what you're seeing uh, in terms of feedback from your uh, developers, customers, uh, particularly in the, the enterprise sector? The sort of things people ask us is when, uh, you know, how is the, the device um, segment going to evolve over time? Because say that, that allows them to, to build different kind of class of experiences. And I think um, the best um, conversations we have with, with developers is when we when we try to um, describe uh, our roadmap and then help them visualize the sort of things they could be doing in the future as well. Um, that also works with uh, with customers because obviously um, at a different level we we'll, we we want to engage with them. We want to explain the the products we're building and we want to validate with them that this is the the sort of things they have in mind when they build their their next generation solutions, silicon uh, devices, and so on. So it's uh, it's important to have that dialogue. That's why we. Um, we work with companies across the, the the different levels of the the supply chain. If you want, from all the way from the silicon vendors all the way to device handset manufacturers and application developers. Thank you for that, Pablo. And that wraps it up for this episode of the Arm New Reality series. Thank you all again for listening, and we look forward to talking to you next time.